a lot of these people wouldn't have been my friends if, if it weren't for the fact that we were in this group together. But I learned how to understand people who are different from me. I learned how much I needed the different voices, the different perspectives, the different backgrounds, and how we came together and created something that was really beautiful and unique and powerful that required all of us to give our all. And I want to share that experience with people around the world. That is Deke Sharon. I'm Greg Baird. You're listening to the Photo Gregor Podcast. Hello, my people. This is Greg Baird. You're listening to the Photo Gregor Podcast, and I'm so excited to bring you season two. I learned a lot in season one, and I enjoyed myself. I interviewed some great people, and I believe that you're going to enjoy this season as well. Um, I've got a few great interviews already recorded, and I also have a great interview here for you today um, with Deke Sharon. Deke Sharon is one of the principles behind the music in Pitch Perfect, as well as some other stuff. If you don't feel like you are ready to do whatever you're doing in your life with gusto after listening to this conversation, I don't know who you are because Deke is one of the most infectious, funny, kind people that I know. And I hope you enjoy this episode and all of the episodes this season. Thank you for listening, and welcome to season two of the Photo Gregor Podcast. So, welcome everybody back to my podcast. It's the opening episode of season two, and I am lucky enough and proud enough to have Deke Sharon joining me. How are you, Deke? I'm good, but let's let's wait till after the podcast to see exactly how lucky you are. It might uh, might turn out to not be your day, Greg. <laughs> Well, you never know, but uh, hopefully <laughs> my job is to make sure that uh, these things go right. <laughs> of course. Of course. Uh, so I've known you uh, or I've known of you for about 25 years. Um, huge fan. And Thank you. I'm pretty sure that my audience may not know who you are because you're more of a behind the scenes kind of guy in, in your recent efforts. So why don't you tell them who you are? Well, I'm... Maybe acapella nerd zero. I uh, <laughs> I uh, have been singing ever since I before I could speak, frankly, and then went in church choir thing and sang in the San Francisco Boys Chorus and did operas with Pavarotti and then sang in every musical I could. And then in high school, it was it was the Music Man in my freshman year, and I was the lead in the quartet. I kept that going for all four years with different members. Taught myself how to arrange. Went to Tufts University as well as the New England Conservatory of Music. And uh, joined the Beelzebubs and uh, really tried to push the boundaries of what collegiate acapella was. And by the time I graduated, I said, I'm going to make a career of this. So I started the House Jacks, which was the first acapella group with a designated vocal percussionist. And we really aspired to be a rock band with original music. And, and uh, we, we were on the road for almost 25 years before I had to leave because my life got too busy making movies like Pitch Perfect and... The TV show, The Sing Off, and the Lifetime Show, and one for the BBC, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and I co-created the competition that's in the movie Pitch Perfect, the what's now called the ICCA, the International Championship College of Acapella. I have written five or six books. I'm not even sure how to categorize that. I've done over two thousand arrangements and have over a thousand published at this point. And I like to travel around the world and spread harmony through harmony, get more people singing. Uh, that's my life's work. I think our world needs more vocal harmony, brings people together, and we need we need that. I agree. Um, and I think the podcast is over because you went through everything I wanted to go through. <laughs> we can go more in depth, and it's up to you. Whatever you like. Or we can talk about other stuff, you know? Okay, so um, I, I definitely want to hit a lot of that. Um, and I knew most of that already from other interactions in the past, but... Uh, Let's start with Pitch Perfect, because I think arguably that's your most uh, well-known and most public thing that you've done, that's as, right. at least outside a cappella uh, community. So what exactly did you do on Pitch Perfect? Well, let's see. I just did like a, a screening of it with a Q&A afterwards, so I got to see it for the first time since it came out. I, you know, I don't, I don't love watching my own work because, uh, yeah, I'm just not that guy. Up uh, and so I uh, was the onset music director, and I taught the music to all of the Barton Bells. Whatever I was, uh, one of the music teams, so one of the arrangers for the musical, 
the musical numbers, um, the troublemakers, as well as the Bard Bellas and the sock puppets and the all of the different you know scenes in there. Uh, and I also uh, get credit as vocal producer because we recorded all the voices right there on the set. We created a little music studio and uh, captured all the voices because they needed to be able to lip sync to their own voices. And I'm also credited with uh, male voice number one. So I was uh, singing on a bunch of the background stuff as well. So Male voice number one. That's that. I need a movie credit like that. Yeah, I, I totally like it. Uh, a, t- a shirt that says male voice number one. But uh, yeah, a lot. And, and it really, it's a snapshot of my world. I mean, the, the competition that I created and the college acapella group that I was in, the Beelzebubs, is really the, the, the blueprint for the troublemakers, obviously, in a hugely exaggerated way. Um, it all comes from the nonfiction book, Pitch Perfect, which I uh, mentioned repeatedly in, and uh, competitions in it, et cetera, et cetera. And, and in fact, the Barton Bellas were taken from the real life story of the University of Oregon at VC, who made it all the way to the finals. But one of the judges who happened to be female just didn't like them at all. So she rated them lowly and, and they were expected to win the whole thing. And they really did uh, change the sound of female collegiate acapella, but they didn't win. And so that was, a, that was a frustration and disappointment within the book. But of course it ended up uh, getting turned into a huge movie. Um, and I loved the movie. I think, I don't think that you could have expected that movie beforehand to, to go huge like it did. But Oh, it, no. I, I thought it, maybe it, it was going to go direct to DVD. Like, you just never know when you're making a small indie film. I poured my heart into it. We all did. And we wanted it to be a big deal. But you never know. I mean, you create things and you put them out into the universe and then you see what happens. Yeah, well, and that's what I was about to say is it, it hit just right. And I think that's evident that, I mean, the fact that you got two sequels and that, but it, it kind of uh, hit in the same kind of way, not in the same genre at all, but in the same kind of way for me as Napoleon Dynamite did. It's kind of like, hey, this movie's kind of kitschy and kind of right, yeah, yeah, this work, this works, and and, and I, silly and funny and and awkward and all of the things that life is. So yeah, it captured it. Well, and to be fair, all all of the things that acapella music is in in a lot of ways. Oh, totally, <laughs> absolutely. I mean, we. I told Elizabeth Banks the first day we got together and started picking songs for the musical. I said, listen, I don't want you to feel like you need to pull any punches around me. I want you to be as over the top, hilarious, make fun of acapella, the whole thing, go hard. Um, and yet at the end of the movie, if people aren't jumping out of the seats, loving the musical numbers, it won't work. So we, we need to, we need to do everything on both fronts. And uh, obviously the, all of the humor goes for the jugular and, and really paints the acapella world as being nerdier and dorkier and sillier than it is, but that's the comedy, that's the joke, and that's the fun of the whole thing. And I love the fact that uh, they also coined this whole Aka, you know, Aka awesome, Aka excuse me, Aka, which we didn't do in the community, by the way, but I have fully no, embraced. No, because <laughs> we did not. No, we didn't. But I fully embraced it because I think if that's the way the world sees the community, then it's fun. Well, you know, and it's interesting, like every community has their quirks, right? And of course. I'm, I'm in... I'm involved in um, some pageants here as a photographer uh, for some of the pageant people. Sure. Um, their world is just as odd and kind of crazy as the acapella world. Sure. And I've, I'm finding that everybody's world, you know, the thing that they pour their heart and soul into uh, long term is generally they've got some really quirky stuff that doesn't make sense to any outsiders. But it's just kind of fun, you know, to kind of immerse yourself in their world and see it from their point of view. Of course. And, th- and that's... Very true with an acapella, although acapella is extremely diverse. The, this right. the snapshot really is of the collegiate acapella scene as it was over a decade ago. Sure. It is, of course, you know, morphed, and now it's hard to find people singing older music. Everybody's doing the latest music. Everybody's got vocal percussion. Everybody, except a couple groups like the uh, Whiff and Poofs that are kind of very traditionalist. Um, right. Everyone's doing the latest music on this on the radio and these unusual songs and like cool, dark, moody and. And uh, they've gone in that direction. But there's, uh, you know, you could go out into the world, and of course, there's pentatonics, and there's Home Free doing country music. And, and you've also mm-hmm. got like gospel groups out there, right? And you've got folk music from around the world that's acapella and everything. So when I think you say acapella now, people think of Pitch Perfect and whatever, but ultimately, it's the oldest music. It predates history. People probably sang before they could speak. And just about every culture around the world has their own tradition of acapella singing 
that's quite different. You know, for instance, you go to um, South Africa and you've got the, uh, the original Mbube style, which was born out of the song The Lion Sleeps Tonight, the, 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 the song called Mbube, which means lion, mm-hmm. from you know, Zulu miners and then Solomon Linda in, you know, around 1930. And that becomes the Ithaca Maya style, which is uh, what Lady Smith Black Mombazo is so famous for singing right. on the Paul Simon Graceland album, et cetera, et cetera. So if you go there, it's not dorky college nerds singing current pop songs or whatever. It's just a whole different thing. And they have their like township acapella competitions. And it has all that like kind of cool step dancing like Ladysmith does with the shout outs and the in the background. And it's, you know, and, and that's just one culture around the world. It's really amazing. It really is. And it, it is diverse. And I, and I don't want to say pitch perfect is the thing. Because I've seen and participated in and done a lot of uh, music, you know, secular and spiritual, as sure. well as you know, some modern acapella barbershop. I've I've done some of it all too, uh, not as prolific as you probably, but uh, I find it to be. Well, let me before I say what I find it to be. What yeah. what is it for you about acapella music? What draws you to the to the vocal genre without instruments? Who knows? I mean, why do any of us like what we like? I like cheeseburgers. I like pizza. You know, I, you know, I, I like Spumoni ice cream. I hate it. I, I think the th- we like things or don't like them, and then we go back and decide why, which is really what, you know, I worked with the judges on the sing-off about. Like, everybody just has their taste, and then they kind of just try to justify it through different comments and whatever. For me, though, the thing that's most powerful about acapella is the fact that the sum is fundamentally greater than the individual parts. You take it, people, very diverse people, backgrounds, experiences, life, whatever, they sing together and they create something that is fundamentally powerful, beautiful, and spiritual and interconnecting. In fact, the spirituality of it, that's why acapella is at the core of so many religious ceremonies and traditions around the world. And everybody wants acapella, everybody wants vocal harmony, everybody wants carols at the holidays because it gives us this warm, fuzzy feeling of being connected to other people. And my life's work is to spread harmony through harmony. I want to help knit back together the fabric of society that's been torn apart by the media and pundits and political parties. And there's just so much more that we have in common than we have, uh, have that's different. And, and the difference is we can work through it. We, we don't have to agree on everything, but that doesn't mean that somebody else is bad. That doesn't mean that the vast majority of humanity or 50% of the American public or whatever is stupid and uninformed and wants America to be destroyed. And I mean, you hear such ridiculous, uh, over-the-top hyperbole. <laughs> the bottom line is, people are people. Everybody wants the world to be a different place. They have different perspectives as how to get there. Yes, there are some narcissists. Yes, there are some broken people. But they're the, the, the minority of our population, the minority of our, our neighbors, most people are good people and they want to make the world a better place. And acapella really shows that. And most importantly, it helps knit together these communities. So in my college acapella group, you had the jock, you had the nerd, you had the computer science guy, you had the chemist, you had the theater people. You, you just like it was the cross section of the entire campus. And a lot of these people wouldn't have been my friends if, if it weren't for the fact that we were in this group together. But I learned how to understand people who are different from me. I learned how much I needed the different voices, the different perspectives, the different backgrounds. And how we came together and created something that was really beautiful and unique and powerful that required all of us to give our all. And I want to share that experience with people around the world, professional groups, amateur groups, students, community choirs, empty nesters, everyone. When they sing together, they have this sense of connection to the community and other people, and it makes the world a better place. And that's my soapbox. I I hereby declare you UN ambassador from Acapella World. Thank you very much. I will I will proudly take up the uh, the staff, the the mantle, the pitch pipe, whatever it is, and uh, <laughs> and continue to march around and and try to be Johnny Appleseed and get more people singing. Perfect. Well, I'm I'm on board. Let me ask you this. Well, let me say this also. I look back at all the songs that I liked when I was a kid, and I'm talking about we got my I got my first radio clock radio when I was in third grade. Sure. Um, so I could so I could wake myself up, and I started listening to the radio. The top nine at nine after bedtime. It was a, you know, parents said you're in bed, you know, so you listen as quiet as you can, but loud enough that you can hear things. 
And I found that as I go back and listen to 80s music now, I find that all of the songs I like best has, have a ton of harmony. And I mean, mm-hmm. it, it kind of it drew me there. And then I, uh, I ended up going overseas for a couple of years um, after high school. And when I got back, I, I found a little group called the House Jacks that, that <laughs> I had never heard of before. And you guys had just released it. I, I believe it was 94 you released it, and I found it in 95, the, yep. the album Naked Noise. That was our first like real CD release, our first big, full album, yeah. Well, what the thing I want to talk to you about that with is, well, I don't think I said that right, but you, all the words were there in the wrong order. <laughs> but <fine>. uh, <laughs> the thing that I, I found fascinating with that was that not only the vocal percussion, which is the outstanding vocal percussion by Andrew Chaikin, but the right. way it was, it was a rock and roll band with, with voices, but also in the, on the last track, um, Palm Sunday, you guys pushed your voices through distortion, like, That's like right. a guitar would, would, and I, I want to know, was that, did that grow out of you guys? Or did you hear about that from somewhere else? No, it is the, it's like a heavy metal acapella and I love it. And, and from then on, I was kind of hooked. I like, you can do anything with this genre. Anything. Anything. So that particular choice was the result of many long discussions. And in fact, the songwriter, Austin Willisey, was originally um, against the idea of using distortion pedals to. Oh, really? Okay. Or actually, uh, yeah, Andrew Chaikin, um, you know, sang the lead. And, and you know, the, the, there were a lot of creative influences within the group and a lot of perspectives. And we had a lot of, you know, 2 a.m. diner meals where we talked about how do we push the envelope. And, and the album, Naked Noise, really was our manifesto. It was our flag in the moon. Okay, all original music, vocal percussion, vocal instrumental sounds. And on the album, there's speed metal and pop and R&B and, and rap. And uh, like you said, like heavy metal and we wanted to kind of show like you can do it all with your voices. Like we don't need to have boundaries here and, and you can do it with original music. Like we had, and, and on the strength of that album, we ended up getting signed to a record label for three years. And ultimately they ended up after three years of having all these pop songs and they loved them and they, you know, wanted to put it out, but they dropped us because they were like, we don't know how to market you. And it wasn't until <laughs> YouTube that straight chaser and then, then, Oh, okay. Yeah. Home free and, and pentatonics and everybody were able to really take off because people could see like, wow, it's just them making the music, right? We were a generation, musical generation earlier than that. And it just, so we crushed live and, and we did over 250 shows in the calendar year 1994, for instance. Like we were everywhere. We would do a booking showcase and get over 50 college gigs from, from one, you know, 12 minute set. So People love to slide, but but it was really hard to have us break through and get to the next level in, in public knowledge. But yes, we spent a lot of time trying to figure out how do we take acapella to the next level? How do we push the boundaries? How do we use our voices as instruments? And in the case of Palm Sunday with that distortion pedal, the question really was, what is acapella? What are you able to do? What's going to be accepted? And also, and this is a big question for our live concerts as well, if we use effects that are very standard on instruments, if we use them on our voices, will people then discount the fact that all the vocal percussion is unaffected, for instance? And often at a concert, people come up behind the board and they'd be like, okay, so what are the tracks you guys are singing to? And what's being done? And Andrew would have to like beatbox for people, do some vocal percussion in person for them to realize oh my God, you really are making sounds. You know, are my vocal trumpets and distorted guitar sounds and whatever. But ultimately, we did decide to use the effect pedal on the last song. First of all, because it sounded cool and it was absolutely. really fun to do it. Yeah, absolutely. And also because as a last song, we kind of wanted to leave people with the idea like, and there is more. There are more directions we can go with this. We're just getting started. And... If you're able to use effects on instruments, why can't you use them on voices as well? So, well, yeah. and I'm sure you guys were, were you guys were fighting the same argument that was probably had back. Uh, I, I'm oh gosh, I don't know my music history, but back when they started using distortion for guitars, there of were course. probably people saying that doesn't that's not music. And no. you know, you were probably fighting that vocally like they were fighting that back in the early days of rock and roll and blues in, in the in, yeah. Yeah, in yeah, yeah. And, back and, at the guitar. Well, yeah, and of course, uh, there's the historic Bob Dylan concert where 
you know, he went electric, quote unquote, and people rebelled and they're like, wait, you're ruining folk music, you're blah, 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 blah. And no, we definitely, there was a lot of Bob Dylan, Bob Dylan. Yeah. Bob Dylan. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, there's a lot of, uh, there was a lot of discussion. We decided as a group, we never wanted to use effects live though. And the reason was, um, we decided if we started to do that with acapella where it was at the time, people wouldn't believe it. They would think, Oh, everything's just manufactured. They're singing to tracks. It's not really them. Uh, Uh, and well, you fight, you fight that anyway, without effects. Right. So, but it was really nice to be able to say live. No, everything you heard came from the five of us created spontaneously on the moment in the moment. And the only effect we had live was a little bit of reverb, which is just the natural echo sound of a room. Right. That was it. And, um, and so that was what we were doing, traveling first around the U.S. and then going across Europe and sparking groups using vocal percussion there and then going over to Asia and the same thing and uh, trying to start a, a global revolution and help you know, stoke the fires of a new generation and style of acapella that was also happening in the college world. And of course, behind the scenes, having started the Contemporary Acapella Society of America, and contemporary acapella publishing and ICCA competition, et cetera, et cetera. I was trying to create the infrastructure that would allow groups to have a larger platform and to get the music they needed and to have the awards to, to award the great groups and help promote, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I was, I was both trying to do this on stage in the recording studio and, and uh, behind the scenes. Well, I, I want to say, you know, coming up in college, I was, I was in college right during that early days of Naked Noise and the early days of the House Jacks. Saw you guys live a couple of times, blew my mind live, blew my mind on the albums. You know, I, I, I think I've purchased every album since then from the House Jacks. Thank um, you. As, as, well as, as well as a bunch of other groups that I follow. Um, I, just, I just find it fascinating how it's grown, you know, in 25 years back when I started and you I'm just a little after you, I, uh, um, it was not the cool thing to do. It did bring no. people together from all parts of the campus. And I sang college acapella, but the group I was in didn't have any music majors at all. Um, yeah, that was just, the case for most, that was the case for most groups. And now you've got schools like Berkeley college of music who have multiple groups. And of, of course they're all music majors because everybody at Berkeley is a music major, although they're not vo- all vocal majors, but right. uh, yeah, no, that was the case you were lucky if you had one or two people in your group who were music majors who could be the music director and everybody else was, you know, pre-med, pre-law, computer science, English major, whatever, engineering. And that was the beauty of it. Yeah. And that's true. And so, and so those beginnings, they felt at the time, they felt kind of humble and looking back, they, they really were kind of humble. Oh yeah. Now though, like acapella music is really corporate almost. There's, there's a ton of stuff. It's not so indie anymore. And, and I want to talk to you kind of fast forward. Um, I know you're working with a, a group called D Capella or I don't, I don't even know how yep. to say it. I've only ever seen it. That's written. right. D Capella. Yeah. 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 For, Capella, for Disney, yeah. I assumed, but I've never actually heard anybody say it, just read it, you know? So what is a, like, tell us about that. What, like, how did that start? Um, what, well, I guess start with the function. What's the major function of it? And then talk about the history of it. How did it start in your Sure, sure. Well, the Disney Music Group, which is one of the many different uh, sections of the, the, of the Disney giant you know, corporation, they had thought for a long time, for many years, about potentially having their own acapella group, but they never really had the right creatives. They never really had the right perspective and whatever. And interestingly, I was making the first acapella musical on Broadway called In Transit. And I was the arranger for that. And they had me produce the uh, cast album as well, because I know acapella and that's my world. And because Kristen Anderson Lopez was one of the writers of this musical, and she also is 50% of the writing team with her husband of all the music in Frozen, uh, Disney was like, okay, we'll make this cast album. That'd be great. So they were the ones who decided to uh, put it out and everything. And so a couple of the people flew over from the Disney music group and were there in the recording sessions. And I also wasn't from New York. I lived in San Francisco. So I was in the same hotel with them and there was a huge blizzard and we were literally snowed into the hotel. And so over a long brunch, unable to even walk across the street, um, 
the head of marketing and uh, the kind of music head sat me down at the table and we were kind of talking about things. And then one of them said, hey, you know, have you ever thought about doing an acapella group for Disney? And I said, well, I've had groups at Disney's California Adventure and at Epcot, like, you know, theme park groups. And, and, and they were like, no, 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 no. We're talking about a major top level international touring group, kind of like a pentatonics, but that does uh, Disney music and acts as ambassadors, but does like really current, modern, cool versions of it. Like, have you ever thought about doing something like that? And I said, absolutely. And I launched into an elevator pitch that I've had for a while about the idea of marrying giant high definition screens with an acapella performer. So wait, you, you had already planned uh, your pitch for that in the meeting, just in case like beforehand. No, 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 no. Well, not specifically for Disney, oh, but okay. another okay. high end direction. So here's, here's the backstory on this. A number of groups that are, I won't name any names, but a number of groups that are very well-known and established and successful saw Pentatonics take off and have more followers on YouTube than Beyonce and fill stadiums. And they were like, how can we do this? How can we become the next hot thing? How can we get performing arts centers to want to you know, watch us? How can we double our audience and do something new and cutting edge and whatever? And a lot of what I do is just for free consulting and helping people and trying to make the world a better place and get these groups to get more publicity, whatever. So I, I thought about it for a while and group after group, I pitched this idea. I said, hey, why don't you put a screen behind you, a high definition screen, YouTube is huge, and do stuff where you're singing the soundtrack of these songs and you kind of integrate with it. And I said, if you don't have the money to get the rights for all these things, go back and do a song from It's a Wonderful Life, which is in the public domain. And Popeye's in the public domain. So do like the Popeye theme song, Popeye the Sailor, and the classic German movie Metropolis and get all kinds of beautiful footage and basically create a multimedia experience where you are the voices, you are the soundtrack, you are uh, everything that's going on. And yet there's all these cool videos and you can show your own videos. You can create other cool video clips of flying through nature, under the sea and oceans, all, all of this and marry the two together. And all of them said like, holy moly, that is an amazing idea. Performing arts centers would love it. We could fill seats, fantastic. And then not a single one of them did it group after group. And I was like, I was like, guys, I'm giving you this gold and I'm not expecting anything for it. Like, and no one's doing it. So I'm sitting there. Disney asks me and a light went off and I was like, holy moly, with the intellectual property that Disney has, all of their movies, all their characters, all the animation. Oh my God, this would be huge. So at the table, I just started spitball. It was my elevator pitch. And I was like, imagine a giant wraparound screen behind a group of singers and they're singing a Disney classic, but behind them, the genie comes alive behind a song from Aladdin and he's flying around the screen and they're singing in front of it. And the audience is, their jaws hit the floor because everything they're hearing is acapella, all the voices and whatever. But at the same time, it's like the coolest YouTube video because you have live elements and all this projected stuff. Um, and they were like, ooh, that's cool. So a couple flights to Burbank, you know, to Anaheim to meet with the... Uh, the creatives down there and boom, we were off to the races and they gave me total creative. They were like, well, what would you do? And I said, I'd go with seven voices instead of five. I think pentatonics is awesome. But if we want to have more characters and be able to do more different things that kind of dovetail well with the soundtracks and the characters and whatever, I'd go a little larger and give us the ability to have a couple more layers and also to, to cast a really diverse group of singers and uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And we literally did a huge national casting. It had to be people within the U.S. for visa reasons and whatever. Saw over 4,000 auditions. And then when I, we pulled them all together for the final round of auditions, it was like, this is our group. Boom. Hello, welcome. Let's start recording the album. And we started recording the album that day. And we recorded their initial album. And... You know, my initial idea for the group was um, to have there be two different casts, almost like I know this is going to this might be a reference that's a little uh, little old for some people, but like the Mickey Mouse Club. So different people could come and go in the Mickey Mouse Club. You don't have to have exactly those people because what if someone gets sick? What if somebody ends up getting a big movie deal and whatever? Like, does it throw everything apart? And this way, you can mix and match, and you could also have two different casts of the group performing. One could be international. One could be performing 
you know, here domestically or, you know, at the special event and on this, you know, red carpet, et cetera. Et cetera. Or, or like if you've got a, a so, Vegas gig, you know, one, yeah. one could be the... You do a sit down in Vegas. Yeah. yeah. You do a whole month there and then other people yeah. are on the road, et cetera, et cetera. So that was the idea for the group and everybody loved it or whatever. But after the group had been together for a few months and, and uh, the marketing people looked at this more closely, they realized, you know, if we're really going to make this big, we need the cult of personality. We need to narrow it down to just one person per part. So unfortunately, we had to let half go oh, yikes. and focus on just uh the seven voices although you know caitlin when we lost shelly who was in the pitch perfect movies um and she got too busy and she had to leave we pulled caitlin up who was in you know who's also on that original debut album she's the mezzo in the group now so um there, you know there was some benefit for having that deep bench there as well yeah true and the group went over and they toured across the u.s but they also went to japan and they sold out like 11 shows in a huge performing arts center there, never having been to Japan. 11 shows in Japan, it was in, in, in Tokyo alone, it was nuts. So everything was good. Groups blasting off, making all these videos. Things are going great. And then bam, COVID hits. And so we've been doing things remotely with them. But the group is itching to get back out there on the road. And we're just waiting for the right time to, uh, to launch them out. Uh, first domestically, of course, because we'll be able to do some of that going sooner. And then get them back out to Asia and eventually over to Europe, et cetera. I thought to myself, I mean, you talked about your early life. You you sang it was the San Francisco Boys Chorus. Is that what it was? I I'm going from memory there. That is right. Yeah, yeah. The San Francisco Boys Chorus was really powerful and, and wonderful experience, and they're still going strong. I, I recommend it to anybody, anybody around the U.S., anyone around the world. Have your kids join the, the local choir, and if they do things with the opera, the symphony, even better. But any kind of a choral experience, in addition to what they're getting in their elementary school, is going to be hugely beneficial. For for sure. And I was I was just about to ask. I wasn't sure how to phrase it, but how did how did that experience affect you and shape you? I mean, you're you're a renowned musician, not just an acapella dude, right? Um, but oh, that's well, your yeah. that's kind of okay, your start. <laughs> well, no, you've two thousand arrangements. Yeah, is, that, that, that's a thing. That's a thing. Although, so when I joined it, I didn't really, I, when you're seven years old, you don't know anything. Right. And there was some benefit to that, I think, singing so young and being in operas by age nine and, you know, walking up to Pavarotti and talking to him. And I didn't know any different. And I'm like, you know, all the, all the kids, I was the youngest member of the San Francisco Boys Chorus concert group. So I missed the first month of fourth grade when we were studying Explorers exploring myself going on a big six city tour to Alaska. And when we were behind the scenes at the opera, the older kids were flirting with the girls in the girls chorus and whatever. I was this tiny little toehead in the corner. I didn't care, you know, nine years old, 10 years old. I'm reading encyclopedia Brown in a costume trunk waiting for our scenes to come up, you know? <laughs> and when you're that young, first of all, being immersed in music and being able to do all of this. And I was also a church choir and I sang everything that they had in elementary school for me. Um, you build up your skills, but also you surround yourself with musicians and great music and experiences. And also, frankly, you get up on stage when you're young and you're not afraid of it, right? The idea of um, being on stage, being in front of people isn't, isn't scary. So I'll sometimes get excited before a big gig, but I don't get like nervous, if that makes sense. Although the two of them are very, very similar. Um, I'm just like, let's go, let's do this, you know? But a lot of the time it's like, people are like, oh no, are you ready? Like, you know, how you feel for that? I'm like, that's fine. I have an annual Carnegie Hall show. It sells out each year. And it's, you know, obviously COVID had to, we had to pull, pull the plug in but, but six years in a row. And, um, backstage, I'm like, yeah, let's go. Let's do it. Let's get out in front of 2,800 people with 500 singers on stage and let's make music. And so for people who have young kids who like to sing a lot in the bathtub and whatever, have them join a, a, a choir and, and have them be that their like primary extracurricular activity because kids in choir, they get better grades. They have more friends. They're bullied less. They have a better sense of self. They stay in school longer, you know, and all of this translates to better lifetime outcomes. And even if they don't end up making music as a career, which the vast majority of them don't, they're more comfortable on stage. They're more comfortable interacting with other people. They understand that, you know, sometimes they're the soloist, and, but more often they're not, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, there's just so many incredible, deep, powerful lessons that are learned and life experiences that they, that they take with them. And I think most importantly, 
if you do music right, you always win, right? So there's this con- concept of an American culture, like, you know, do sports, get your kids out there, teach them how to be a battler, teach them how to be, you know, a competitor and, and uh, et cetera, et cetera. And I think there's great value in team sports, but music and, and singing in a choir is a team sport where you always win and you're not trying to beat anyone. You're just trying to be your own best version of yourself. And ultimately that sense of win-win, everyone can come together and create something beautiful. Frankly, I think is a much better model for how we create a better city, a better state, a better nation, a better world. Wow. I mean, gosh, (laughs) how do you respond to that? There's so much to unpack there. Um, (laughs) Let let me, I don't think I could ask you a question that would have you expand on that. That was eloquently stated. Very, that was a beautiful sentiment. Let me ask you this. There, there, in all of our careers, music or otherwise, we have some failures. What are, what are some of the early failures that taught you big lessons and, and what did you glean from them? Did you have early failures? Oh my. Um, well, yeah. I think in American culture, the word failure has, has become stigmatized. And, and I deal with young singers and young people all the time. And I have two, two kids who are young. And, they, and people avoid... Failure. They don't do things because they're worried they're going to fail. That's exactly the wrong perspective. You should do as much as you can and have a good time and figure out what you're good at and figure out what you really like from doing it, not just staying away from things because you don't think you're initially going to be good because nobody's good at anything. They start. They might they might have potential, but they're not going to be amazing, right? Right. And so people need to learn how to push through that and to start to become excellent at something as a result of the hard work they put into it. But, oh, for myself... Um, you know, when you're young, you audition for all these solos and you don't get them. Or I was bummed because my freshman year of, of high school, uh, the head of the you know the musical theater department was going to do either The Music Man or um, South Pacific. And he said, if it's going to be South Pacific, you're going to be Lieutenant Cable. You'll have one of the lead roles. And I was like, that's awesome as a freshman. But then in the end, so many people wanted to be in the musical, he decided to go with the music man because it has a larger cast. And so he cast me as lead in the, in the Barbershop Quartet, which is a smaller role. And, and I was like, oh, man, I could have been one of the leads, except that changed my life. It introduced me to Barbershop. I kept that quartet going for all four years. It, that's why I started to learn how to arrange because I wanted to do more current music and the sheet music didn't exist. I mean, it literally was, was transformative. So in that case, the failure or the lack of the success or what I wanted there turned out to be the best thing in the world for me. And one story that is uh, written in the original uh, Pitch Perfect nonfiction book, and that actually ended up becoming a big part of the, of the overall storyline in the movie, is the story of Benji, uh, the nerdy guy who doesn't get in his acapella group. Right. Well, guess what? I was an acapella fan. I studied acapella. I collected albums. I taught myself how to arrange and when I got into the New England Conservatory of Music, which I was doing concurrently with Tufts University, I placed out of all of the undergraduate theory walking in the door. So I have, gra- I have, I have a college-level theory, you know, a, a, a graduate, I'm a graduate-level entry theory person as, as an undergraduate, as a freshman in high school, in college. I've arranged tons of songs. I've sung an acapella group for four years. I've recorded stuff. I like, have all this knowledge. I walk into the audition. I nail the audition, frankly. I, this is going to sound really snotty. I was probably at that point a stronger musician than anybody who was in the group at the current time. However, I scared them all off. And they were like, this guy's too into it. They called me overzealous. They were like, this guy's a little too into this acapella thing. Um, maybe he's not quite right. Too intense, whatever. And I didn't get in the group. And then I convinced my, you know, when it was time the, at the end of that school year to audition again, I convinced my roommate who was in the double degree program with, and who was also a voice major and he got in and I didn't. And he was like, Oh dude, you know? And so that's the, you know, that's the storyline. And it turns out the third time I auditioned, I realized like, I gotta get into this group and I really want to do this. How am I going to do this? So I acted like I didn't care. I went to the audition and I, and they were like, okay, Dika, what song do you want to sing for your solo? I was like, I don't know, whatever, pick a song. And they were like, really? You didn't prepare anything? And I literally, I, the whole thing, I was just like, you know, acted like I could take it or leave it. And then they, <laughs> and then they took me and then I became music director and blah, blah, blah. We would go from there. Um, so you're, but, you're literally you know, Benji. 
Like from, from Pittsburgh? That's right. Benji is literally me. No, his, the whole storyline. And, and for the record, I never did magic tricks. I never had any Star Wars posters. <laughs> like all that stuff, of course. Of course. But the guy who loves acapella and just wants to do it. And, you know, I was sitting there at the concerts in the front row and the whole thing. Um, and so when Benji sings magic in the big finale, of that gives me chills still watching it because that's me. That was my life. And so what a failure, right? To not get in the group for that whole year and to sit there and watch them and have to cool your jets and whatever. But it was one of the best things that ever happened to me because it just coiled my spring tighter. It made me like, it, it brought me a level of humility that I, I'm sure I needed at that point. And also made me even more motivated to, to work at it and be excellent once I did finally get that thing. Um, and I tell this story to people all the time. I say, if you want something, go for it. And someone says, like, well, I really want to go to Yale, but I didn't get in. I'm like, okay, well, I'll apply again. They're like, really? As a sophomore? I'm like, yeah, keep, keep going. Go to Yale summer school. Get to know people. Figure out what they need for a different whatever. You know, expand your horizons, whatever. If, if Yale University is the thing you need to go to and that's the most important thing to you, then keep going. Keep, on, keep showing up. Keep applying. You know, and, and people think, I think, in our culture so much like, oh, one and done. You didn't get in. It's over. No, it's... You should have the, exactly the same, the, uh, the opposite instinct and use all of that energy that you have and just keep going for it. Yeah. And I think that's, I think that's a, a, a super valuable message. Failure isn't permanent and it never has been failure. In fact, our, our best learning experiences as humans is through failure. And, and, uh, you know, I, I, I design math courses for my day job and I want to give students like tons of experience with every problem type so they can fail and they learn from the failures. And if you teach yeah, them, right. Good. Um, the failure is the thing. So, Oh, I'll, I'll go one. Go ahead. I'll, I'll go one step further uh, during parent teacher conferences for my kids. I'd walk in and I have some friends who are educators as well. And I'd sit down and talk to the teacher and I'd say, okay, I'm going to say something. You're, you're not going to believe it, but I want you to fail my kid. And they're like, what? I said, if my kid doesn't bring in, in his or her homework, please give them a zero. Right. If they get a C on a test, please don't round it up to a B minus. Give them a C. Like, if they don't do something, like, please, I want them to fail now when the support system is there for them. And honestly, I had so many, like, interns and people who worked for me, like, on Sing-Off and other places. And these people walked in so entitled, so unaware of their weaknesses, and just convinced of their amazingness because their parents were bulldozers and helicopters and cleared the path for them. I literally had one person come in and, like, on day three... You know, I explain like, okay, I need you to make these copies, hand them out to all the groups, go around to each group, record their song for them, upload it, tell you know, write down what the number of them. And and she said, "Ooh, you know, I I really feel like if I worked with the female group, like I could really help them with their sound." And and I just had to say like, "Yeah, I I can too, and that's my job, and I I'm gonna go do that now, and I really need you to make these copies, like." Start at the bottom, please. You know, <laughs> craziness. So the, the teachers all really appreciated me saying that. And, and, and they said, like, are you for real? Because they're, they're just used to all of these parents going in, don't you dare, like, and always taking their kid's side and, and the things. And I was like, you know, if there's a disagreement, unless it's something, like, you know, vastly you know, problematic, of course I'm, I'm, I'm going to side with the teacher. The teacher's job is to help push my kids and to make them better students and make them better people. And all they want is to do that. And that's their full-time career. That's their life choice. And teachers make mistakes too. It's not like they're perfect. It's, but so often I hear these horror stories sure. of, of parents like just going above and beyond uh, to try to justify any choice their kid has made and, and undermine the teacher's ability to actually put those barriers up and then teach the kids how to climb over them or go around them or dig under them or whatever it is. So good for you for coming up with math problems that are going to constantly challenge kids and make sure that they understand a mathematical concept from all different sides. Right. right. That's what it's all about. Well, I was going to say, let's do that. I was going to say, I no longer want to be adopted by Deke Sharon because uh, being your kid sounds harder than I want. I, I want to not mature and grow mentally. I, I want to just have <laughs> someone do everything for me. So, um, I guess my dream of getting adopted by you should be shattered by now, but, uh, <laughs> um, what, what is the, they, I, I uh, guess, they, uh, well, yeah, no, I think, uh, it's too late. 
<laughs> yeah, no, I think it's too late. I'm I'm balder than you are, so I'm I look older than you by now. So, um, let me ask you this. <laughs> In conclusion, I I want to maybe explore what where do you think the genre of not maybe maybe not just acapella music, but the genre of music in general. Um, wh- but where do you think what's the future of acapella music and music in general? What what do you think's what's next? What what's your vision? Oh, well, I, I like to joke that, you know, each generation, the music is designed to be more and more annoying to parents, right? And to adults, right? So I, I, I like to joke, like, eventually it'll just be uh, white noise, just, you know, pure distortion with some, like, high-pitched whining going on in the background. But, of course, that's just me being silly and joking. <laughs> um, I think each generation is going to find what is meaningful for them and then the music world will continue to morph and change in that direction. And that is as it should be. And I've, I've tried to design the acapella community with enough incentives for young groups and young arrangers and high school and college, or whatever, to constantly try to sing the latest songs and to have the style of acapella continue to morph to follow whatever the latest popular music uh, genre choices are so that the style won't die down and die off because of course it was a huge groundswell in the barbershop era a hundred years ago. And then it went away and then doo-wop came back and it was big. And then it went away for a long time. And through the 1970s there were only a couple acapella groups out there and college acapella groups were, were folding and, and it wasn't cool anymore. So I think, well, first of all, acapella isn't a genre. It's really a choice of instrumentation. That's true. That's and true. so far as it exists in, in American popular culture, I, I hope that it continues to remain fresh and uh, continues to be inspiring to young singers because they can sing whatever the latest music is with just their voices, which is really the whole thing. And then on top of that, when these people graduate or they start to pioneer and they push through college and decide they might want to make a career of it, hopefully we'll continue to get great groups like Take Six that really took gospel repertoire, jazz harmonies, and R&B stylings, and put it together into their own sound. There's so much that can still be done out there. I mean, with, with Home Free, we really cre- we took a group that was doing you know pop music and helped them become the world's first big country music acapella group. And for people who think, oh, well, but it's all been done now in acapella, I'm like, really? There's never been a reggae acapella group, you know, that's really, that's what they do. Or like, you know, the amazing music of the Hawaiian Islands, like where's the amazing Hawaiian acapella group that travels around the world and sings Hawaiian songs and whatever, pick a style of music. And most of them don't have like an acapella group that is, that goes deep and, and exemplifies that, you know, a full, like imagine a DJ, right. And they're spinning tunes, but it's all vocal. Like it's, it's completely uh, synthesized and tracks like dance music, right. Or, or uh, like a full-on beatbox and rapper hip-hop ensemble, and that's what they do. Like, there's just so much to still be done with acapella. It's really amazing and exciting that it can be done, and I, I can't wait to see more of these boundaries being pushed. So, in in summary of that, I'd say get to work, Aka Youth of America. That's right. Go get them. <laughs> there's some ideas for you. If you didn't have ideas before, you have ideas now. <laughs> Go do it. Yes. Um, so listen, Deke, I really appreciate you. Um, I want people, if they're fans and they want to know what you're up to, if they're, if they need arrangements, if they, if they, whatever they want to do following you and whatever, how do they find you online? What's the best way? Easy, 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 easy. I'm across all the different social media platforms. I'm Deke Sharon on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. And, and so feel free to reach out to me there or, I'm easy to find online as well through a Google search, but my website is deeksharon.com or totalvocal.com. So will you spell Deke me. Sharon for for everybody? Sure. It's D-E-K-E is my first name and my last name, S-H-A-R-O-N. Okay, and good. My life's work is to spread harmony through harmony. So no matter who you are, what age you are, where you are in the world, when you're if you hear this and you want to sing in an acapella group, drop me a line and I'll help you find a group, barbershop, you know, pop doo-wop, R&B, classical, anything, wherever you are, anywhere around the world. And that's now and forever. So long as I have a breath, I'm going to keep helping people do that. And if you're starting a group, drop me a line. I'll send you free arrangements and 
and get you resources and, and try to get you in contact with other people in your community so you'll be successful doing this, et cetera, et cetera. So um, I'm very approachable. I'm very nice. And I will not tell your teachers to fail you. I promise. <laughs> okay, good. Um, and <laughs> I hate to, I hate to not have that be the last thing, but uh, I want to corroborate what you just said. I have on multiple occasions, just as a quick hitter, um, reached out to Deke um, to ask him a question or to provide, uh, well, just to say Deke, I love how you go about things. You're doing a good job. I have done that in the past. Um, I don't expect him to respond because he's busy and he's got lots of things going on and he responds every single time. He's one of the most kindest individuals. Oh, sorry. That was not good English, but he's one of the kindest individuals I've ever met. And he, his mission when he says, Thank you. when he says he's here to make sure that you're, uh, that we unite the world through harmony. I, I don't say it as eloquently as you did, but, uh, when he says that he really means it and, and he backs it up Thank in you. his actions and, and his professional work um, and non-professional work. I, I admire you deeply Deke. And I think, I think I just want to say that for the record that uh, you've impacted my life in many of the ways that you've talked about without even meeting me in person more than for like five minutes twice in my life. So thank you. Thank you. It's my pleasure, Greg. I really think that everybody on this planet has a responsibility to try to make the world a better place in whatever way they can. And for me, it's, it's vocal harmony. It's acapella. And so I'm, I'm walking the walk like is, and, and I want other people to have these wonderful experiences I've had. And I really do believe there is incredible power in vocal music and, and so many people nowadays that they, they aren't singing or they think they're tone deaf. They're not tone deaf. If you talk like this, then you're tone deaf. But if your voice goes up and people say like, I'm tone deaf. And I say, no, you're not. Like, <laughs> you understand pitch. You, your voice can hear it. You're just not experienced in the same way that someone who hasn't spent long picking up a basketball and, and shooting free throws isn't going to make most of their free throws. Your vocal cords are just muscles and they can be trained. And it doesn't matter if you if you never really have sung much and you're 65 years old and and you're looking for a new activity, there's a choir out there that you can join and you can learn how to lock into harmonies. And it's the greatest feeling in the world. So please join us. I promise you, it'll be one of the greatest decisions you've ever made in your life. Great. And that's where we will end because I don't want to talk. Okay. I don't want to talk anymore. <laughs> Thank you so much, Deke. My pleasure, Greg. Thank you for having me. So that is it. Deke Sharon is one of the people I've idolized for a long time. I hope you listeners found that engaging and enthralling. If if I had a football team right now, I'd have my kids listen to that before a game because that just pumps me up. Probably wouldn't work for football, but uh, it pumps me up to just the same. So look for the Photo Gregor podcast. I hope to release episodes every couple of weeks from here until the end of 2021. And I hope you enjoy these guests I bring on, some of whom have some uh, fame and some of whom are just regular people. But I admire and love these people. So welcome to my podcast for season two. And thank you again for listening. I hope you enjoy it.